0: Welcome to the 256th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Maureen Callahan, author of the true crime book, American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. Stay tuned for the interview. This episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro.fm. Libro.fm is the first and only company which lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Support your favorite local bookstore and you can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know who I'm talking about. But you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out the recommendations and curated list from the people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. There's a special offer now for reading and writing podcast listeners. Get three audiobooks for the price of one, $14.99, With your first month of membership, just use the code RWPODCAST. Again, that's Libro.fm, purchasing audiobooks from your local bookstore, and use the code RWPODCAST. Now stay tuned for my interview with Maureen Callahan. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Maureen Callahan, author of the nonfiction true crime book, American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. And the book made the New York Times bestseller list the first week of publication. Maureen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your book, American Predator, yet, can you tell us what the book is about and explain for the listeners who Israel Keys is? Yes, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Israel Keys is uh, the sort uh, of the most unprecedented uh, diabolical serial killer uh, in modern American history. Uh, and when he was uh, apprehended, uh, which was initially in the disappearance of one young girl um, who went missing from Anchorage, Alaska, when the FBI caught him, they very quickly realized. Uh, that they were in over their heads. The agents on the case went to the top criminal profilers at Quantico and begged for a profile to help leverage more confessions out of keys. And they were very quickly told, we don't know what to tell you. We've never seen one like this before. Um, And I had certainly never read about one like this before. And so I spent... uh, the past five years, uh, working with the agents on this case to help bring this story to light. Uh, in brief, he's spent at least the past 14 years um, burying what he called kill pits all over the United States of America. These were five-gallon Home Depot buckets that he filled with guns, ammunition, uh, rope, zip ties, Drano to accelerate human decomposition, cash from bank robberies he had previously committed when the urge to kill struck him he would leave uh his suburban home in anchorage alaska which he shared with his then girlfriend and his 10 year old daughter he would fly into a major hub once boarding that plane though he has turned his cell phone off the battery is out he is going dark as he called it he will be using only cash he flies into a major hub. He rents a car. He drives thousands of miles. He digs up a kill kit and he goes on the hunt. And what made him so lethal and so uh, diabolical, and and again, uh, you know, this MO which the FBI had never seen before, was that not only did he have uh, no geographical area, most serial killers tend to stick close to home. <laughs> type. So he would go after anyone. You could be young, old, male, female, black or white, alone or in a pair. It could be broad daylight from a public place. It could be the dead of night in your suburban bedroom and he would take you, torture you, rape and kill. He would then move the remains to yet another location, preferably across state lines And then get back in his car and put thousands of miles between himself and that crime scene immediately. So he was virtually undetectable for at least 14 years.
0: And so how did you first discover who Israel Keyes was and what interested you about the case?
1: Well, I first came across this story uh, in December 2012, and it was a small piece, but... um, When I got to the second paragraph, I I, I mean, my jaw hit the floor. There were three lines that just blew me away. One was, uh, here was a serial killer with an MO that was completely unprecedented. It was, I hate to use this word, and and, and the agents themselves will say this, um, but it it was ingenious. Uh, It was sophisticated in how crude it was. Um, He was an analog killer in a digital age. Um, that he had no victimology was fascinating to me. That the FBI had him in custody for the past nine months uh, leading up till this article, till so they made him public and had kept his very existence a secret from the American people, even though he had been killing all over the country uh, for decades, I thought was extremely, Extremely odd, and um, that there was nothing about his childhood or upbringing or background to account for how he got this way. And I just, I knew there were going to be multiple, multiple mysteries to dig into, and I was not disappointed. I could not foresee what I what I was about to learn.
0: Interesting, and given given the amount of popular culture. Um, the concerned serial killers and and true crime. It's kind of a surprise that Israel Keys is not more well known. I'm wondering why that is. And obviously, I know from reading the book that there was a lot of negotiations around the FBI and what they revealed. But I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. It still seems like when you mention it, people, unless they're a really really diehard true crime fan, have never heard of him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh... Israel Keys is really on the level in terms of a a criminal mind as a, as a Ted Bundy, uh, as a John Wayne Gacy, a Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, if not, if not more ingenious, um, why most people have never heard of him, uh, Again, even though he was active all over the United States, and there are many cold cases that law enforcement and FBI uh, consider him a viable suspect in, um, it's really down to, I believe, the Bureau itself. You know, after they made his case public, uh, they, they went to the American people for help, and uh, they begged for any kind of lead. Uh, to help identify and locate other victims. He had told them he killed about 11 people over the span of 14 years, but many of the agents um, who worked this case believe it's far more than that, um, certainly in that camp. Uh, and and one of the things that the Bureau did was to throw up online um, what they called a, a timeline of Keyes' travels uh, and... But they very, very quickly then began to claw this case back from public view, uh, which also struck me as extremely odd. Um, why would they do that? Uh, and in the book, um, you know, I talk about the the cat and mouse game and the leverage that was going on. You know, Keyes wanted certain things from the FBI and the federal government and vice versa. Um, but there were also many things that went haywire with this case. Um, and at a certain point, even though I began the book with the complete cooperation of the Bureau and with this unprecedented level of access to the case agents, uh, about that stopped. And I realized that it stopped because I had learned a little bit too much. The agents had told me more than they realized they were telling me. And then I had to wind up hiring lawyers on both sides of the country, in New York City and in Anchorage, Alaska. I had to sue the federal prosecutor in the case for hiding at least 13 hours of interrogations with keys. These were never documented anywhere. I had to sue for this court-ordered psychological evaluation of Keys, which was going to be the greatest accounting of his childhood we would have had to date. Um, and what shook loose in all of that was uh, were, were actually many things, but one of the most consequential, I think, was uh, a, a series of documents that were reclassified in this case. The Keys case, about seven months into this investigation, went from a classification of serial murder to terrorism. Hmm. And that's something the FBI has never made public. And in fact, I know of at least one news outlet that has since gone to the Bureau and asked them to explain that reclassification. And despite having hard proof, documentation that is reclassified on, on Bureau letterhead as terrorism, they're still denying it was ever reclassified as
0: terrorism. Interesting. Well, well, as you've explained already um, in our conversation and as you go into a lot of detail in the book, which I recommend that everyone listening grab a copy, but um, as you explained, Keyes was so meticulous. Given that... <laughs> How is it possible that he did not understand how ATM machines work? And the reason I'm mentioning that for the listeners is that he was eventually found and arrested because he repeatedly used the ATM card of his last victim, Samantha Koenig, uh, from Anchorage. How did he not know that?
1: That was one of the questions that consumed me at the very (laughs) outset of the reporting for exactly the reason you just described how could this guy not know that he was going to get caught using her ATM card? Um, And I asked the agents, I asked each of them, you know, did they think on some level he wanted to be caught, whether he was conscious or unconscious of it. But most of them believe that he was simply as, as most of these guys eventually do spiraling out of control. Um, And I, have sort of landed on that theory as well you know um, Samantha has been called his last victim but other there have been other news reports um, that use the qualifier known victim his last known victim and I think that's really important because I think there was at least one other victim uh, that he took and killed after Samantha but that has not also been made public
0: right Well, also, um, you know, again, because of popular media and the amount of um, coverage about serial killers from true crime TV shows and podcasts, many people have this idea that serial killers are complete sociopaths, and that if you met them, that you would detect that either they were jerks or that there was something off about them. But one of the things that stood out from reading this book about Israel was the 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 relationship that he had with his his ten year old daughter when he was arrested, um, and he would take her along uh, when he did construction work and If I saw a dad interacting with his daughter the way that you described in in the book, I certainly wouldn't think this guy's a serial killer and i 'm just wondering, given the depravity of the murders and and you know you mentioned in the book and i 'll just mention it here that you know there were cases of, of necrophilia um, that that you know, as part of his his murders, did 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 the investigators ever discuss with you the the relationship with his daughter and the and the seemingly normality in, in that relationship?
1: Yeah, I, I asked about that a lot too because I was so interested to know their take on that. Uh, he was, by all accounts, extremely devoted to his child. And uh, I I would ask them, do you think that he was capable of feeling real love for her? Um, because, you know, psychopathy is a spectrum, and, and serial killers are obviously on the most extreme end of it. And um, in most cases, the people in their lives, um, especially when it comes to girlfriends' wives, those people are really part of their mask. Uh that helps to allow them to move around in the world without detection. And I, I wondered if his daughter was was in some way just equally useful to him, but uh, every single agent said no. They actually believed that what he felt for her was was deep uh, and profound love. And, and uh, you know, that said, it's not that surprising because, a child, what is a child? It is literally a part of you, right? So that would also sort of feed into his narcissism, right? Um, but he did love her, and, and it, it, yet, you know, at the time of, of the disappearance, when he abducted Samantha Koenig, his last victim, uh, he, um, he was taking his daughter on a cruise the very next morning. So he he raped and and tortured and killed this girl in his shed, mere feet from his 10-year-old daughter's bedroom, and a few hours later is getting her up to go on this cruise. When they return, he misses a parent-teacher conference because he's busy transporting Samantha's dismembered remains in the middle of the day to a lake about an hour away. So it's quite the dichotomy there.
0: Right, right. Um, so what what surprised you the most about Israel or the investigation when you were researching your book, American Predator?
1: So the thing I most wanted to know about was the background, the childhood, the adolescence, the young adulthood, right? Because why was that getting obscured from why was no about it. You know, I, I, like I said, I spent two years talking in depth to all these agents and they knew about his childhood and they wouldn't say a word. And it struck me, it's so odd. Um, and so in obtaining that psychological evaluation, and I also, I spoke to his mother, Heidi Keys, who has never spoken to a, a journalist before. And I was able to get uh, a really comprehensive look at his childhood. Um, In in a nutshell, for your listeners, you know, he grew up off the grid, one of ten children, uh, raised by fanatical parents who hated the federal government. All of the children were home birthed. They were homeschooled. They never saw a doctor. They never saw the inside of a classroom. They spent the first seven years of their lives living in tents while their father built them a cabin by hand. Um, from a very young age, Israel learned how to hunt and dress game so he could feed his family. Um, he began manifesting the textbook signs of not just psychopathy, but of a serial killer at a very young age. Uh, as a young man, I, I want to say even a teenager, let's say 12, 13, 14, he befriended, uh, two brothers named Chevy and Shane Kehoe. Um, who lived nearby and attended the same white supremacist church. Um, the Kehoe brothers would grow up to become among the FBI's 10 most wanted in the 1990s. Uh, at least one of them had an association with Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, who keys would go on to reference once he was captured in glowing terms. um, When Keyes is about 18, 19, he decides he wants to enlist in the United States Army. And he does, even though he has no birth certificate, no social security number, no passport, no medical history, no educational history. As he told the FBI, I did not exist on paper. How did he get into the Army? The Army told me that even pre 9/11, there was no way you could enlist or be recruited if you don't exist on paper.:
0: Interesting. <laughs> Is that why he was uh, classified as a terrorist?
1: Um, it's still unclear. I have There are several threads that um, sort of come to light in the book. Uh, one is uh, it's clear that allowances were made that uh, the military saw something in Keys that they regarded as as, a, as an asset. Um, he was described by all the guys in his platoon as a super soldier
0: uh,
1: whose physical strength uh, and marksmanship were um, just unbelievable. Uh, And they also said to a one that he scared the shit out of every single guy there. Um, He told the FBI later in the investigation that he knew how to make bombs and that he had been building explosives from the time he was about, again, 14 years old. And within moments of this admission, the FBI deployed bomb squads on both sides of the country, one to his home in Anchorage and one to property he owned in Constable, New York. What was recovered, the FBI has never said, but Keys did tell a fellow soldier that it, at the Constable property, he had buried 9,000 rounds of black talon ammo. And black talon bullets are the so-called cop killer bullets. They were outlawed years and years ago. So something was
0: up. (laughs) He had either
1: done something that the FBI learned about after they had him in custody and and was completely embarrassed by, or he was planning to do something. But either way, I I certainly believe uh, in a post 9-11 world, in a in a case where you have a guy like this roaming around for decades, killing all over the United States indiscriminately, we certainly deserve to know exactly what was going on there.
0: Sure. So so obviously, there's a lot of political headlines about the FBI these days. But do you get a sense that there's anything institutionally that the FBI has learned from this case? Um, you you mentioned earlier the the idea that he would transport. His victims' bodies into uh, neighboring states, and you mentioned in the book that that really uh, threw a wrench into any kind of investigation because most uh, most detectives and, and law enforcement will automatically look for uh, victims who are local, and and that uh, really caused problems. And I'm just curious if you think the FBI learned anything from his case that that could impact future cases.
1: I think there's so much to be learned uh, from this case. And I've actually had um, the, gu- the guy who literally wrote the textbook on homicide investigation that is studied all over the country reached out to me and said there's so much that law enforcement and the Bureau can still learn from this case. Um, and they are, in fact, so the FBI has a, a secret um, institute. It's called the it's literally called this the Evil Minds Research Museum. (laughs) And they study serial killers there, and they're studying Israel Keith there because there is so much to learn from him and from his case. And there's also a flip side to this. He told the agents working his case that he learned from the FBI, that he had read all the books, that the FBI's top profilers had written. He read Mindhunter by John Douglas when he was a teenager. He read Roy Hazelwood's Dark Dreams. He watched CSI and Criminal Minds to learn what not to do. And when he said, basically, you have been my teachers, these the agents were really shocked and a little bit humbled by it. And it goes to a great larger thing that's happening now, as you spoke about at the top of the segment, with this explosion of interest and fascination with true crime. Uh, we are existing in something of a feedback loop where we all learn from the worst among us, but the worst among us are also learning from these stories. So it's, it's a fascinating quandary.
0: Sure, um, and I, I guess I guess we should mention. I just realized as you were talking that um, for the listeners, I'm not sure that we told them um, the the outcome of Israel Keys. I don't know if you want to explain what happened.
1: Well, um, I'll just uh, give a brief spoiler alert right now and say okay. if you don't want to know, okay, because <laughs> if people tell me they don't want to know, then stop listening right now. Okay, stop, stop
0: listening for several minutes uh, and then come back.
1: Okay. <laughs> Um, no, so, so, so what happened was, uh, nine months in, uh, he's, uh, committed suicide in his jail cell. Um, and, you know, and that's when the case became public. That's when the FBI sort of went public with it because he had been really holding them by the balls. He, he said to them, I do not want to be made public while I'm alive. Uh, I don't want anybody to know about me or the things that I've done while I'm alive. Uh, I don't want my daughter to uh, be exposed to this yet. I want her to have a chance to grow up with some normalcy. And if you do that for me, I will give you all of my victims. I will tell you their names and locations. And so this went on for months. And I have to tell you that, um, you know, in the wake of Jeffrey Epstein's suicide in federal prison in Manhattan, There were several parallels that really struck me. Um, In both cases, each of these individuals at the time were probably um, the highest value subjects that the federal government had in in custody. Um, Each of these guys had attempted suicide at least once while in custody before. Each had been placed on suicide watch. Each had been let off watch way too quickly uh, to the to the point where there was suspicion amongst the guards that a backroom deal had been cut with feds uh and then finally despite uh being assured that every um, precaution was being taken each was uh somehow allowed to take their own life uh taking multiple victims to the grave with them
0: Wow. Federal government has a problem in protecting prisoners.
1: Or are not protecting them. Or not
0: protecting them. For
1: reasons that we don't know, yeah, you know, which exactly. is which is more disturbing.
0: Exactly. Well well how many people do you think Israel killed?
1: So the official line uh, that the Bureau holds is eleven because he told them less than twelve And uh, they thought that was a weird number because most people round by fives or tens. Um, But there are agents who work this case who believe it's far more than that. I am certainly in that camp. There's an interrogation uh, in which someone in the room who should never have been in the room says to Keyes, we have to assume that every time you've traveled, you've killed someone. And Keyes just chuckled. He never answered. And that, with as much a, a declaration as a question. I mean, every, this guy traveled uh, all over um, in, a, in a way that could only be described as compulsive um, and, and his sole purpose for traveling was to hunt human prey, was to find and, and, and torture and kill. And so I, I believe the number is much, much higher. Will we ever know for sure? A definite number? No, but I think 11 is far too conservative.
0: And do you think there's anything law enforcement could have done to find Israel sooner before he killed more victims?
1: Well, you know, one of the things is they said that he had uh, no record uh, whatsoever, uh, no arrests, no criminal history. And, and that is not true. Uh, I uncovered arrest records. Um, For breaking and entering uh, as an adult. Um, He had at least one DUI. He was trading guns on the black market. Um, He was involved in criminal enterprise from a very, very, very young age. Um, I don't know that he could have been detected before he made the mistakes he made with Samantha. But I do think that there was enough in his childhood, in his teenage years when he he became a felon, uh, and, and his military service, that there were red flags all along the way. Um, and I think that that's part of the reason they're keeping, or they've attempted to keep so much of that uh, history just a blank slate,
0: interesting, so before we wrap up, I wanted to switch gears for a moment and ask you if there are books fiction or non fiction that you've read recently that you would recommend that you enjoyed
1: uh would you say in this genre or do you just mean in general
0: in general or in the genre? oh wow. Well,
1: <laughs> <laughs> The, I, I have a stack of books that is so high, uh, because I, I haven't had much time to read for pleasure lately. Um, but I will say one of the books that, uh, has stuck with me over the past year, year and a half since I first read it is, um, Educated, uh, which is, uh, the memoir by Tara Westover. Sure. Um, her upbringing was actually quite similar to Israel Keyes's upbringing. Um, but her book is, uh, just, staggering and beautifully written and uh it it at times it can be hard to read but it is equally hard to put down and uh i ju- i just love that book it's the first book that comes to mind um and i have a stack of summer reading i'm about to try to <laughs> dive into uh this weekend um i'm actually heading to the bookstore after i hang up with you <laughs>
0: great well, again, we've been speaking with Maureen Callahan, author of American Predator, The Hunt for the Most Meticulous Serial Killer of the 21st Century. The book is in bookstores now, and it made the New York Times bestseller list. So go grab a copy or download the ebook. And Maureen, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thanks so much for having me. Great. You know how to book flights and hotels.